Hey, you guys, this is Richard Sachs. Welcome back. This is Lost Arts Radio. And um, we have a friend of ours back on the show that I've been waiting for for a while. Uh, Ken Rolla, the founder and president of Fresh and Alive, freshandalive.com. And they have products there that I recommend and I've used. And I, I can tell you which specific ones, but it started with Rest Shield. And that has some great, uh, you know, tangible effects, which is really important. And all, all of these places that are making and selling things that they say, they use the word quantum or scalar, and then they figure that that means whatever they did is correct. And this one really is. So freshandalive.com is a really good site to study. Lots of good material on there. And Ken is a, a natural health teacher and an inventor and lots of other things and we're going to get to talk and it's going to be very outside the box talk i'm sure and it'll go by in five minutes so um glad you could be here with us and uh, it's always my pleasure richard <clears throat> my only apprehension about speaking with you is that it might go for four or five hours <laughs> before right. we get going. Say 10 minutes and it, it in earth time it's a long a lot longer yeah so anyway um i always like to acknowledge that there are people here that have not heard any of our previous discussions or who just wandered in. And I want to include everybody, not just the people who already are familiar with what we're going to talk about. So do you want to say anything about where you come from, your background before we get into main stuff? Yeah. Yeah. It's a very unusual, long and winding road. Um, And I won't get into all of it because it would take too long, but um but in, in, a, in a nutshell, uh, I worked in the medical system for 23 years. I went to school for electrical engineering, um, and I uh, worked uh, in that. And then the medical system worked in computer science. And, um, oh, man, it must have been uh, about uh, early 2000s when I started Fresh and Alive, um, mainly because I was – you know, I, I think at the time I was a web developer and um, I moved, I just moved to Florida with my wife and we were doing what, you know, it's called the living foods lifestyle. And people, when we just moved here, people would come to our house and see, you know, we didn't have a television. We didn't cook on our stove. We had our stove covered up and we were eating all this raw food. And when I would open the refrigerator up to get somebody a drink or whatever, you know, it would be full of produce and not the usual junk food and processed. Right, right. And so people would always ask me like, well, why, 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 why this, why that, why no TV, why the, you know, all the raw food and stuff. And so I wound up, you know, I'd an- try to answer their questions in a short answer and, they would just keep asking more and more questions. And every time I'd wind up talking for two, three hours to explain our lifestyle. And I really got tired of it. And cause every time we can make a new friend, it's why, why, why. Right. And, uh, so I was kind of complaining to a friend of mine about it. And he said, well, you ought to do a workshop for all these people and just show them all this stuff. And then, then they'll leave you alone. And I thought, Hey, that's a great idea. And so I did that and had about 15 people in my house. And I spent the entire day with them, like nine hours and took them to the health food store and showed them what was really healthy and all. And then I thought, okay, now they'll leave me alone. Um, But they got all excited and they went and told people. And so I had to do another workshop and that one was bigger. And then they went and told people and it just started growing exponentially. Hmm. And at that time I had quit my corporate job. And I was also, I started a pottery business making pottery for a living. So I had my studio in my garage 
And when 9-11 happened, the pottery business just tanked because, you know, people don't buy luxury items when they're, uh, you know, when they're afraid. And so, uh, so the pottery business tanked. And by that time, my classes and workshops were just going gangbusters. So I thought, well, this is easy money. It seems to be falling in my lap. And so that's kind of how I got into natural health. You know, I'd been living it for years. But then I started teaching it. And because of my background in engineering and science, I didn't just want to do the usual thing. So I really went in depth on a lot of stuff. And because of my background, I had a unique perspective on things. And so that's why, you know, when I, the stuff that I teach this day is not the usual, you know, take your vitamins and minerals and, you know, eat right. It's a lot. It goes way beyond that. Okay. And what I wanted to, you know, with that background in mind, what I wanted to get into today is about the environment that we're in and how what you're doing relates to that and your assessment of what's happening, where it's going, and what people can do to have a positive impact on the future. Okay. Yeah, I uh, probably in my 30s, I started getting exposed to advanced technologies that uh, most like mainstream scientists and engineers wouldn't even believe exist. Free energy, anti-gravity, propulsion systems, um, time travel technology, all kinds of crazy stuff. And uh, much of it I witnessed firsthand myself. And uh, in, in other cases, I would meet scientists and people that were working on this stuff. And I kept meeting people, you know, like I think I met five different physicists who worked on anti-gravity time travel technology for the U.S. military, different occasions and different times. And so I got exposed to a lot of advanced technologies and realized that what I had been taught in engineering school was predominantly incorrect. Mm -hmm. And so when I started learning mathematics and physics and engineering that some of these people were familiar with and, uh, you know, learn how to create free energy technology, for example, and other advanced stuff. So it gave me a very different worldview. And then also having a lot of very unusual esoteric experiences, like, you know, living and working with Coretta Scott King. I just did a two hour webinar on my experience with uh, Coretta Scott King, the wife of Martin Luther King and what really happened with the King assassination and all that. So I've, I've had all these crazy experiences that have gotten me privy to information and knowledge that most people would never get in a lifetime. Is that recorded by the way? It mean? is recorded. I'm getting ready to post it in my private membership site um, this weekend. And that website is freshandaliveclub.com. I had to move to a private membership site for my teaching because I was getting attempts on my life. I've had four attempts to kill me and a lot of attacks of various kinds. And of course, you know, Google and YouTube banning and shadow banning me and Facebook completely, you know, blocked my accounts and stuff and mm-hmm. blocked my content, et cetera, et cetera. So I, we had to move to a private membership site so we'd have a little bit more freedom of speech and be able to tell the truth about things. And so that's um, great. All those companies agree that you're, stuff is valid yeah it's a real honor to be you know attacked and shadow banned by these people because it tells me that i'm doing the right thing you know that's right because if if what i was if i was just a a goofball then they wouldn't care you know no they'd support you for sure (laughs) so so having all that background um has given me a very different viewpoint about things and also uh, an understanding and and because i'm an engineer i'm trained to look for and create solutions 
And so that's what I've done. I've always done that. And I've been teaching about, you know, bioweapons, for example, for 16 years now. Because, you know, years ago, uh, way before COVID, I didn't know that COVID per se was coming, but I could see that biowarfare was increasing. Yeah. And a lot of these, um, these uh, outbreaks that were in the news in the past that people didn't pay too much attention to, like Ebola and AIDS and um, SARS and West Nile virus, and even back into the 70s, Legionnaire's disease, if you remember that. Yeah. Those were all bioweapons that were being used to practice as a precursor for COVID. Because right. you don't just go launching some big program like COVID and hope that it works, you know. You, you have, have to be to. responsible and do the testing. Exactly. First. If you're going to kill off the population of Earth, you got to test it and make sure it works, you know. Right, exactly. So that's what all these outbreaks that were in the news that were splashed all over, even though they weren't really pandemics, they tried to make them out to be because they wanted – they wanted to see what the psychological effects would be as well as the, you know, the physical effects of, you know, the virus or so-called virus or whatever it was. Right. And so, so I was studying that and also very privy to a lot of information because I, when you work in the realms I work in, you bump into people in intelligence agencies and the military and secret space programs and conventional space programs. Mm-hmm. And they tell me all kinds of stuff. So I get, I get information that, helps me to figure out what's going on and then create solutions for it. And so, um, so that's where I'm coming from. <clears throat> so with COVID, when it was announced, um, it didn't surprise me a whole lot and it didn't worry me one bit because I already had solutions for it, you know? Right. And the first thing I did was to look and see if anybody had analyzed the virus to confirm if it was a bioweapon. And of course, you know, all of these agencies like the CDC and the WHO that were proclaiming that there was a pandemic, when you, you know, ask them up close and personal, you know, well, can you show me where you isolated the virus? They couldn't yeah. because they didn't, right. um, at least not publicly, they wouldn't admit to it. And so, but, you know, people like Dr. Luc Montagnier and some other, there was a lab in, or labs in India that did isolate or and identify the virus as being a GMO bug, which didn't surprise me one bit, with HIV components, by the way. Yeah, and that was so, one of the first things I heard, just to interject something, and I assumed that they were telling the truth, too. And later on, I found out that their definition of isolation, you know, which they figure the public will never even look at because it's too many levels deep, um, is so ridiculous that, I mean, they're not isolating anything. They're mixing all this poison together, all kinds of contaminants, calling it isolation, and then anything in it that dies, they say, oh, proof that it's a virus. True. With conventional analysis, it's absolutely true. And Luc Montagnier is a very different virologist, very different bird. He, you know, he was, he had accolades through the roof um, for his various discoveries, particularly, you know, discovering the HIV virus, but mm-hmm. he, he's made many other discoveries. And one of the things that he discovered was that you can actually create human DNA in water, in distilled water, just with electricity. So he, he figured out a way to pulse electricity through water and in sealed vacuum sealed containers and make human DNA form, right? And so therefore he said, but, you know, we can create DNA with energy, 
that energy comes first, matter comes second. And of course, this highly acclaimed amongst the mainstream science, highly acclaimed doctor suddenly becomes a quack because of that. And then he made more and more discoveries like that and announced them and it was attacked, um, you know, again and again and again for it. And so his, his analysis, I would trust because he's not the conventional thinker. He's not just thinking in the same ways that most virologists Right. And um, microbiologists would would think in, and I know um, from my own work, I can tell you that I don't think anybody, including him or me or anybody, I don't think anybody on this planet really knows and understands virology and exosomes, because in 1995, uh, I've told this story before on your interviews that you know I encountered these three reptilian extraterrestrials, and I had been having telepathic contact with them for a few years. And I know this sounds completely schizophrenic and delusional, um, which at the time I thought, you know, I, I was like, I thought I was, I didn't think I was losing my mind, but I thought I was just having a game with myself in my head. But eventually I insisted that I meet these, these ETs physically. And so they showed up physically and, um, but they, they gave me a lot of information and they spent uh, years giving me a lot of information telepathically and in various ways and uh, and one of the things I remember that they said back in 1995 was that uh, a lot of things we didn't, you know, because we're physical beings and because we're very mind controlled, et cetera, et cetera, and our education process and all this stuff, there were a lot of things that we didn't understand at all. For example, time, you know, they said that our concept of time was a quaint local custom. And I remember they also said that viruses were not what we thought they were, that they weren't little microscopic organisms that infect us uh, like a bacteria, that they were interdimensional entities that could manifest physically if we, if our frequency was in resonance with them particularly pathogens. And so we have all kinds of microbes, including viruses in our bodies all the time that come and go depending on the environment. It also depends on our vibrational frequency, Uh, meaning, you know, when I say vibrational frequency, I don't mean some woo-woo esoteric nonsense. I mean that all the elements on the periodic chart, this is mainstream science. When you look at the elements on the periodic chart and you look inside of atoms, all of the atoms of the elements, they have, individual um, vibratory frequencies. So at the subatomic level, they're vibrating and they have a frequency. Each element has its own unique frequency. And so this is not some kind of woo-woo nonsense. This is physics. So all the elements that compose your body, they have each have a vibrational frequency and combined they have an overall resonant frequency. And you can affect that frequency with your consciousness and your diet and your environment and energetics around you and all kinds of things. So when you're in resonance with something, you will tend to attract it. And, um, you know, we can get into that more later if we have time. But at any rate, so these, quote, viruses, uh, we may have them physically in our body because they can manifest physically, but they won't create disease unless we resonate with disease that they can create. And so, therefore, there's a lot of contention about whether COVID and viruses in general, if number one, if they're actually life forms or if there's some, something else 
or if they physically exist or if they don't, or, you know, it's like with COVID, there are people that say there is no physical virus. It's just an energy, you know, weapon, um, or it's just energetically induced, whatever. You're talking about the energy level interpretation of the terrain theory. Exactly, exactly. You know, conventional, let's say the, the virologists who buck the conventional, you know, transmissibility of a physical virus theory and say that it's energetic. That's exactly it. They say, or they say, yes, you can get the physical virus in your body, but that's not going to create disease unless the terrain in your body uh, is your quote immune system is weakened and the terrain allows it to create illness. And it's actually the same with bacteria too. Right. Right. They, they exactly. are, there's 10 times as many bacteria as there are human cells in your body normally. Right. And, it's, and it's they very don't com- do anything bad. Maybe. Correct. Correct. It's very complex because even pathogenic bacteria can become probiotics. They can become bacteria that won't harm you. They can morph. They're called pleomorphs. Right. And, and even if they don't morph, they can just not do anything. Exactly. Exactly. So you can have pathogens in you, bacterial, viral, whatever. They can show up physically. There are devices like quantum biofeedback machines that can actually identify if it's physically there or if the frequency is there, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Um, and so that's why I think there's a lot of contention and confusion over what COVID is. You know, it's like I think Dr. Mercola, Joe Mercola, just had a, I think he just had a debate with uh, Dr. Cowan and a Dr. Uh, Andrew Kaufman, I believe it is, well, um, over be, whether the virus is physical or not. That would be a wonderful discussion if if it was approached. In yeah, I think I think they did. I know that they wrote a an open letter to him uh, kind of refuting that there was a physical virus. And I don't know what his response was, but I think that they actually discussed it in a, in an interview and they're friends. So it wasn't like some yeah. you know, mean and well, nasty kind of well, thing. That's, I mean, anybody that wants a productive debate has to approach it as allies and friends and helping each other. Exactly. It, the old model of debate where you try to mainly prove the other person's an idiot is a complete waste of time and counterproductive. Exactly. I, I recently met this really amazing physicist, and I won't mention his name because I don't know if he wants to be mentioned, but uh, you know, he's a college professor in physics, and but he's very, very open-minded. He's also very aware and enlightened. And we were talking about all kinds of physics concepts, and we were both you know, kind of enlightening each other, you know, based on our own knowledge and experience. And it was so refreshing. On occasion, I will meet physicists and engineers like that. They're usually working in, you know, government programs or secret space program or something like that. But this guy was just a college professor who happened to be open-minded. And so that's a real achievement to be in a university environment. Oh, yeah. And be open-minded and able to coherently think, you know, with common sense, that's amazing. Exactly. And we were having this great, you know, email conversation about stuff. And, and I mentioned to him a video that I put out, which I, I presented years ago to a, a, a metaphor, metaphysical group. I think it was like noetic sciences group, right? So I'm right. talking all this talk about physics and the nature of things in very lay person's terms and oversimplifying and that kind of stuff. Well, he forwarded that video to a bunch of MIT physicists that he knew. And of course, they're like bashing it. And um, <laughs> But it was a good example of what you're talking about, how, you know, if you just dismiss somebody outright, 
as being, you know, I was like, oh, this doesn't, this doesn't go according to what I was taught. Then there's no opportunity for expansion of ideas and discovery, you know? And so, um, you know, I'm a very big fan of discourse and debate and that kind of stuff. Right. But when it's done, when, you, when you're just dismissed outright as like, oh, you know, that's ridiculous. I mean, and I understand it because I did the same thing. When I was fresh out of engineering school, I remember going to this farm and there was this guy who was doing a demonstration of biodynamic farming. And he took some cow poop from a cow horn yeah. that had been sitting in a cow horn buried underground for a year, put it in a five-gallon bucket of water, stirred it up with his hands back and forth for an hour. And made it into a spray, basically. Yeah, he was making it into what's called a Steiner prep, a Rudolf Steiner. It's It's got a number on it. Yeah, they have different numbers for different preps. I don't know which one he was making, but at the time, you know, being out of engineering school and believing everything I was told, uh, I thought this poor deluded sap, he just doesn't know anything about chemistry or physics, you know? Exactly. Plus, he's and the truth is, I was a deluded. Yeah, I was a deluded sap because I didn't know anything about uh, skater physics or monoatomic elements or, you know, vortexing water or any of this stuff. Right. And so I learned, you know, eventually I learned. It really started happening in the 90s when I uh, started working with a man named named Ewell Brown who developed a water fuel technology, and that completely busted my whole paradigm about, you know, engineering and physics. So that was the beginning of cracking it it open for me. So I understand when people dismiss these ideas and concepts as gobbledygook. Um, They're being honest. That's what they think. Yeah. So when I do meet, you know, engineers and physicists and inventors and scientists who are open to this stuff, it, it's such a wonderful discussion to, to have because they always bring something to the party. And because I've had this ET contact, which, you know, again, a lot of scientists would just dismiss that as this guy's a nut job. Right. But when I take the information that has been given to me from these ETs and I talk to a, an engineer or scientist who's open to it and they've got this hard background in science, they can start correlating with things that they know and then we can learn more about it. So, um, so that, yeah, that's kind of how I, how I go about with learning and debate and stuff. So I'm open to it, but getting back to COVID, so everybody is arguing and debating about whether it's an actual physical virus or not, or if it's an energy weapon or if it's 5G. And, you know, everybody's like, God, because we've been trained to think in this black and white thinking, it's got to be this right. or that. You uh, know, also, I don't want you to forget that this debate or discussion with Cowan and Kaufman and Mercola is important because I think it was really recent that Mercola was on the air and said, um, there's no point in getting into the weeds of the discussion of whether the virus exists. It should be assumed that it exists. And that was recent. Uh, that's probably what they wrote their open letter about. Yeah, because, I mean, that's it. There are other people that say that there's none of the above. There's no energy weapons. There's no virus. There's nothing. It's just a, a fear campaign. But I can tell you, I know a lot of people who I've verified that have had the physical bug in them, and it could have been induced with an energy weapon, but there was a physical virus in them. Whatever it is, yeah. You know, and yeah, then, there's some kind of sickness where they can't get oxygen and the lungs are working, but the interface with the uh, the blood vessels doesn't transmit the oxygen. Right, and, and but when you use... When you use quantum biofeedback devices like the QXCI SCIO or the Eductor or the um, the newest version is called the 
the QX, those devices are so sophisticated because they work on frequency. They can tell if it's an energy weapon. They can tell if it was induced, if it's a physical bug that was induced by an energy weapon, or they can tell if there's a physical bug there. And so I've seen all of that. If it was an energy weapon, can that same technology fix it? Yes. That's the cool thing. I mean, that's how it saved me. I'd be dead if I didn't have access to that technology. Okay. And interestingly enough, not only at the time when it was going on, um, my quantum biofeedback practitioner, her husband died. And so there was a week. And it, of course, it happened right when it was the crucial point where I was very close to death. She couldn't help me. And so all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, my God, what am I going to do, right? And so I used my own mind, actually, to keep myself from dying. But I also had another secret weapon that was a human being. Uh, there's this guy named Ed Edwards. And for people that want to look him up, you can go to freshandalive.com and go to the services page there, and you can see his contact information. Um, okay. And his one of his websites is Ed edwards.com but it's edd edwards.com so ed is like this amazing gift from god because he can channel energy and heal people now he doesn't make that claim because he can't but i can tell you that's the truth and so when i was in the throes of it and i was having really bad heart arrhythmias and all kinds of stuff i called him up and he can remotely tune into you and uh-huh. send you energy and heal you. And he saved my life. You know, he was the one that brought me out of it. Uh, even though I was doing all these supplements and things and um, even, what, you know. What, what part of the world is he in? He was in Georgia at the time. He travels all over the world. But at the uh-huh. time, he was in Georgia where he lives. And uh, I'm in Florida. Is he and- expensive? No, he works on donations. So you give him what you feel you can afford. He's very, so very how many, how many years is the waiting list? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's pretty busy. Uh, he, well, what he does is he, he, you know, triages people. So the people that are really in dire need, he gets right. to them right away. And then he schedules other people out. So you mean you can actually communicate with him pretty quickly to find out where you would... Yeah, yeah. normally you call him, you leave a message, and if it's something dire, you let him know, and then he'll get back with you right away if it's really dire. And Does he tell you what he thinks is wrong or just fix it? Um, he just fixes it. Okay. He just sends energy, and he says it's not him. And he, he says he channels God energy, basically. Right. And he's been heavily studied by you know, scientists and universities and stuff and quantified that this is real. It's not just some figment of some, or not placebo. Let's put it that way. So they were putting what he does into their terminology somehow. Yeah, yeah, and and measuring it, quantifying it. Okay. Um, but you can feel it. I mean, it's no question because, like, when he's every time when he the way that he locks in on you to send you energy is, you call him up over the phone, and then while you're talking to him on the phone. Um, he has you put the phone down on speaker and then you just stand there and then he'll lock in on you and then he'll start pushing you energetically. So like it literally almost made me fall over the first time he did it. Cause I wasn't expecting it. Um, but it's a strong push. It feels like magnets pushing against each other, you know? So it's like all of a sudden you get this like and magnetic what, push against you. What's he pushing? Okay, gonna, what is he doing with that? Well, that's how he locks in on you and finds you. And so he, to confirm that he's got a good lock on you, he'll push you back and forth and side to side. And then once he's done that, he knows he's got you. And then he sends the energy to you. Wow. 
And so then you just sit there or lay down or whatever, and uh, and he no, zaps no you. No negative effects from what he does, though. No, no negative effects whatsoever. Okay. Uh, but, I mean, and you can feel, like I said, you know, you, your body will start heating up and stuff, and uh-huh. the more sensitive you are, the more you can feel it. Um, yeah. But, yeah, he's amazing. So he's he's like one of my last-ditch go-to guys if I've got somebody who needs serious help, including myself. Wow. Um, but um, so he's like a living quantum biofeedback machine. Uh, but yeah, these devices, these they're all scalar. You know, consciousness itself is a form of what scientists call scalar energy, which is a really unfortunate term because it's confusing when you start talking to conventional scientists. There are scalars in mathematics and there are scalars in physics that um, have nothing to do with what the military calls scalar energy. So really, it's longitudinal waves would be a more accurate term or superluminal light because what the energy really is, it's, it's light that's traveling infinitely faster than a conventional speed of light. And it's actually surrounding us. It's all around us. It's kind of like the force in Star Wars. It's all around us. We're in an ocean of it. And in fact, we're made of it because, you know, when you look inside of atoms, they're not composed of smaller and smaller and smaller particles. That's called the Bohr model of the atom, and that's nonsense. Mm-hmm. Get below the proton and the neutron and the electron. You don't have smaller and smaller particles. What you have are geometric patterns of light that compose these particles and the atom itself. Well, that's so, kind of what's mistaken as physical energy, right? I mean, physical, right. physical matter. Right, because there's this threshold where you, <clears throat> where you, you know, energy is becoming matter, where you get quanta of energy, what you know, quantum physicists call quantum energy, which is like waves that are chopped up into particles. And, and you can think of it like um, you can think of it like light traveling, light waves traveling, and you're shutting the flashlight on and off at you know nanoseconds. And mm-hmm. so it's like the white, light waves are traveling, but they're being shut on and off really, really fast. So they come out and little particles. They're, some scientists call them wavicles, but they're like waves, but they're chopped up into little pieces. And so, um, so okay. that's really what this, this when light is. When you say is. the point at which they become matter, that's really a little bit different meaning because what that's really talking about is at what point our senses pick up the energy and, and interpret it as matter. Right. Right. Yeah, it, it's, it's just energy, all of it. That's right. It's it's energy. It's light. And, and what it implies, by the way, is that we're living in a holographic multiverse. But it slows down and co- kind of coagulates into the electromagnetic spectrum of energy that we can see and measure and physical matter itself. Right. And so when you in, in biological organisms, when you hear people talking about like the acupuncture meridians and the flow of chi or prana and that kind of stuff or the biofield, those kinds of concepts, that's that energy slowing down, it's coming in from our environment and it's coming from within because we, our body is full of these little mini black holes that the, you know, Chinese medicine calls them the acupuncture meridians or in, in Ayurveda, they call them the nadis. But our body is like this web of black holes that this energy flows through. And also the DNA is a superconducting antenna that picks it up. And the brain neural pathways are loaded up with these superconducting minerals that pick it up. 
And so we got all these different conduits of this energy is flowing in and recreating matter moment by moment. And so uh, that's why you're able to heal and even restructure matter within the body just by using consciousness, like with um, yoga and meditation and intention and speaking, you know, all this kind of stuff. You can physically restructure matter in the body. So ultimately heal- your own consciousness, when it wakes up enough, displaces all the man-made technology. Absolutely. And that's one of the ways, by the way, that we can get rid of this nanotech and these vaccines from the physical body. Uh, a friend of mine has created this very specific meditation that she's giving out. Uh, and Dr. Gabriel Cousins has it on his website um, in his private membership. That's Nani, right? Yeah. I don't know if we can mention her name beyond that. Um, okay. No, I won't. Sorry. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, um, Nani. We, we can even edit that out if you want to. That's okay. We just won't give her last name out. But she's a brilliant, amazing woman. And she came up with this meditation and she was able to get the vaccine damage and nanotech out of uh, people that she knows with this meditation. And I think Dr. Cousins may have also. I read that paper. It's really interesting. Yeah. So we have the power to alter matter within our bodies and we do it all the time without even knowing it because that's how cellular regeneration works. You know, Dr. Thomas Bearden, who is a, he's one of the preeminent skater physicists in the United States um, he was studying how um, he was looking for a way to neutralize radioactivity and he was studying how human cells operate and how cells regenerate. And what he discovered was that cells contain these superconducting monoatomic minerals in them. And these, these minerals or these elements, they act as conduits for the cells to be able to send a skater signal back in time because this energy it's not like conventional energy like the electromagnetic spectrum where waves are traveling through space this uh skater energy this superluminal light it's multi-dimensional and it's existing through multiple dimensions of space and time or frequencies would be a more accurate um way of explaining it and so because of that it can travel through time so it can go back in time and get the genetic blueprint for a healthy cell and bring it into the present and, and allow that cell to regenerate and be healthy without DNA damage. Reset to original condition. That's right. And so the, what that means is that the genetic blueprint, you know, we're told that it's in the DNA, but the DNA is actually a superconducting antenna that captures the original pattern from the biofield of the organism or the consciousness of the organism and conveys it into the physical structure through the DNA. So, so this is DNA, why they want to inject... Uh, dual purpose, uh, at least on that level, to change the nature of the antenna and the DNA with the mRNA technology. Precisely. And also to put in man-made antennae in the form of nanotech. Boom, you got it. That's exactly right. It's to override the DNA and to control it with this nanotech. And the nanotech are electromagnetic and scalar antennae as well. Right. And so they can, they can uh, <clears throat> pick up signals from your cell phone, from 5G towers, from 5G satellites. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask next is if yeah. that's the receiver, what's mm-hmm. the sender? Exactly. And that's not, that's not me making this stuff up. There are Department of Defense patents showing this. Right. Uh, Karen You're King- not supposed to ever look at those, actually. Exactly. And they're hard to get, by the way, too, because usually they're, um, you know, they become, um, when they become strategic, they're usually um, 
made top secret and then you can't see them. You know, they, right. they, but so how come they ever declassify that stuff? Isn't that kind of dumb? Well, usually what happens is, this has been my observation, is that usually some brilliant scientist comes up with some really advanced tech, and they they develop it and they work on it, and then they get it patented maybe. And so it'll get into the science journals, and it may get into the patents initially for a few years. And then the, you know, the, the Department of Defense, the CIA, the NSA, the military, they're all looking at patents constantly to see if they have strategic value. And right. if they determine something's got strategic value, then they'll classify them. And so, so usually what, for somebody like me who's watching, you know, this stuff, watching the journals, occasionally you'll see some really amazing tech come out and it's in the journals for a year or two and then all of a sudden it just disappears and that's what happens right. it's classified right. so for whatever reason um the karen kingston found these patents these dod patents showing that the nanotech which is self-assembling by the way you know they inject these particles into you and then they the reason that these vaccines have to be kept at like minus 70 degrees fahrenheit is because when they're that cold that slows down the atomic vibrational structure which is part of the physics of how these things self-assemble and they don't start putting themselves together if they're that's cold. right they don't assemble they don't self-assemble until they warm up closer to body temperature and so you 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 warm them up and then you inject them and then they start self-assembling and then you can use external fields from cell phones or 5g or whatever to make them self-assemble into specific and what is telling them how to self-assemble when you say they start self-assembling, how do they know what? Well, to do? there's there's different physics involved. It can be it can have to do with um, the structure of water. Let's say the the effects of being in water, the effects of temperature. Um, for example, like uh, capillary induction. Okay, there's. Uh, you know, when you put fluids inside of very narrow tubes, like the capillaries and the blood. Goes up. Yeah. It'll yeah the the tube will draw the liquid into it. That's kind of a mechanical uh, phenomena of a very narrow tube with water or an aqu- aqueous oh. solution. So there are phenomena like that at the nanoscale that will make these things self-assemble. That has um, something to do with how trees get water up to the higher parts too. Yeah, in the case of capillary action, that's right. But it's not just that. In the case of trees, like how you know. Capillary action can only pull against gravity up to about 30 feet mm-hmm. in a tree. And then beyond that, it, it can't. because so old, uh, old redwoods need something else. Right. It's like you can't, have a, you can't have a suction pump, like a well pump. It can't suck more than maybe 30 feet down. Like if you had a 300-foot deep well, it, it depends can't on suck. the weight of the column, right? Right. So yeah. because of gravity, you can only draw on a suction pump at about 30 feet down. So if you're going to go below that, you have to have a pusher pump down at the bottom of the well pushing the water up, right? So how does water get up to the top of a 300-foot-tall tree? Um, the way that that works, it's a combination of the capillary action combined with monoatomic elements in the fluids and the sap and the water that levitate it because monoatomics are levitational or anti-gravitational. So that's part of the mechanism. So there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of really complex physics. And that's and not in the too, typical biology class either. No, but it, and it's not just that. Also, it's, uh, you know, these plants will absorb gases that will bubble the water up as well. So there's multiple mechanics going on 
to draw those fluids up through the branches and the in the trunk. That was um, one of the attractions of Dr. Cowan's thinking that Mercola was going to debate with or discuss with. Because Dr. Cowan, you know, some of these obvious things don't make sense. And because everybody passes down the conventional interpretation, people just believe it and memorize it. And Dr. Cowan looked at the circulatory system of the body and said, wait a minute, you've got so many miles of capillaries, and when they're really thin, they have more resistance to flow. And you've got supposedly this one-pound little pump that's moving through so many miles of tubing that has almost zero diameter. There's no way that that can be even close to true. That's right. That's right. He's absolutely right. It's The heart's not a pump. The heart is like a, a regulatory um, mechanism. The, the pumping action comes from the mechanics of the blood vessels themselves and the veins themselves. Like, like um, a peristaltic action kind of thing? It's, um, it's a combination of a lot of things. It's the, the gases in the blood. It's the monoatomics in the blood. Um, it's the structure of the veins themselves. And, uh, and then muscle contraction. It's a lot of different stuff combining to make that flow. And the, the heart regulates the, the rate of it. But why does the heart, you know, this is a, an interesting question. Why do human hearts on average beat at 72 beats per minute, right? Um, it, it's, it's all linked to the whole galactic matter energy system, the reason that we operate at the rates that we do, the reason that our brain cycles at the rates that it does and our heart beats at the rate that it does, et cetera, et cetera. It's all tied to a pulsing coming from the center of the galaxy. It's a scalar pulse because we're living in this cosmic web of energy and the, the, the superluminal light that I was talking about, it emanates from the centers of galaxies and it spirals and it branches as it goes. So it's spiraling and fractaling as it goes. The whole cosmos is structured fractally, meaning geometrically and branching. Right. And this energy comes out of central suns at the center of galaxies, which are mainstream scientists call black holes because the light is traveling so fast it appears invisible or black to us, not just to the naked eye, but to our instruments. So they call it, um, they give it all kinds of stupid names, solar winds and all kinds of stuff. It's like totally unscientific. But what it really is is superluminal light. So you've got this superluminal sun at the center of the galaxies, and then you've got all these other suns around it. And as that light energy comes out and slows down, it's captured by all the suns and the planets because it's been discovered at their centers. They have these, quote, black holes as well, which are these interdimensional portals for this energy. And so the energy emanates outward from these these um, black holes inside of planets and suns, and then it's relayed through this cosmic web of planets and suns. And so, you know, so when here on Earth, it's coming to us from our sun and from the center of the Earth. And then we're little biological fractal antennas that pick it up and radiate it outward in a right. toroidal field. It always generates these toroidal fields around these different structures. Yeah, interesting that happens. And it's also connected with an interstellar travel system. Right. right. And that energy is pulsing at certain rates. And so by the time it gets to us and it passes through our atmosphere, et cetera, et cetera, it's pulsing at certain frequencies that is what's responsible for the partially for the regular for the frequencies that we operate at and all living life on Earth operates at. And if you went to another planet, it would operate at a different frequency. So these um, people that are saying there's no virus, that's really beginner level stuff. There's actually no physical matter. Well, there's physical matter, but 
the way we conceive of physical matter is incorrect. <laughs> it's like, what is physical matter, right? Well, it's, it's basically a hologram. The, it's defined by the sense that perceives it. Yeah, it's a it's basically a dense hologram, and you know, then you get into uh, uh, what's the what's the branch of science that uh, contemplates the the nature of everything, um, epistemology. Right. So you, then you get into epistemo, epistemological discussions about you know, well, what does all this mean? What does what does it mean to be physical? What does it mean to be a hologram, et cetera, et cetera? But but basically. If, from, and, and then also, too, think about this, okay? Um, for us to understand the cosmos and, and, and all of the nature of this stuff, it's kind of like an amoeba trying to understand a 57 Chevy. Yeah, uh, it would take a lot of study by the amoeba, right? Yeah, the amoeba doesn't even have a frame of reference to comprehend it. And then when you consider multidimensionality, we're physical, three-dimensional, or maybe fourth-dimensional beings, but... You know, we, we can, our senses and our concept of reality can only take us so far within a, a multidimensional framework. And so it would be like a two-dimensional life form living in a flat plane trying to comprehend three-dimensional reality or fourth-dimensional. It really can't. So it makes all these metaphors to describe it, but it's never going to really understand it. It's like, you know, how does somebody who's blind from birth understand what the color blue is? Right. Unless they bring it in from another lifetime, which is completely possible. Right. And, and I think they do, by the way. Um, a blind person from birth can't conceptualize colors the way a sighted person can. Yeah. Now, interestingly enough, speaking of that example, I had a friend who was blind from birth. And she did have a sense of what colors were like which I suspect was from previous lifetimes because I had some really surprising discussions with her about colors and she did seem to kind of have an understanding of them. Mm-hmm. So I think she was bringing it in from other lifetimes. And she was born blind. Right? She was born blind. One of the things that, that you brought up that I didn't get a chance to ask you about, you mentioned that you came in contact with different free energy technologies and you experienced how to put some of those together mm-hmm. um if they could uh, overcome i mean even stanley meyer's technology which is relatively basic compared to what you were probably referring to splitting hydrogen and oxygen apart in water molecules without spending more energy than you get which he apparently solved um even that would transform life on the supposedly physical world right and, yeah. and just come up against this little problem that the people holding or trying to expose that technology, they all commit suicide. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They get they get suicide or they get killed. Yeah. yeah as a matter of fact, I met uh, one of Stanley Myers, one of the guys that was working with him on that technology. And for those that aren't familiar, Stanley Meyer was this guy from Texas who, back in the '80s, developed water fuel technology. Which, by the way, he got from other people like a guy named William A. Rhodes. William A. Rhodes, back in the '60s, developed water fuel. Uh, in Arizona, and I guess he knew not to try to bring it out as a fuel, so he actually created these welders that would use water as a fuel, and you could weld anything to anything. And, and you know, Rhodes got it from John Keeley and others back in the 1800s, so this stuff has been around a long, long time. Right. And then Ewell Brown, same thing. Ewell Brown and Andrea Puharich in the 70s 
I think they got information from William Rhodes and they developed water fuel. And Andrew Puharich was actually friends, I think, with the Rothschilds or the Rockefellers, one of them. And he developed this water fuel powered car and was riding it around doing demonstrations of it. And his friends told him, stop that or we'll have to kill you, <laughs> even though we're your friend. Who, who was that that was doing that? It was Andrea Puharich. Okay. And then uh, about the same time, Ewell Brown was also developing water fuel. And then in the 80s and 90s, he came out with it um, in a big way. He came out with it in the 90s in a big way. And he was filling stadiums with people demonstrating this water fuel engine and technology that he had built. And I bumped into him at a conference. Actually, it was one of his representatives, a guy named Dennis Lee. And there's a whole story about Dennis Lee. But Dennis uh, was working with Ewell Brown, and uh, he was on a speaking tour demonstrating it and talking about it. Dennis was kind of known for creating the world's most efficient heat pump. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, he knew a lot of esoteric science, met Brown, they got together, and Dennis was really good at marketing. And so, you know, so they were going to change the world, and they were filling, I say, state, filling stadiums of people. They had all, attracted all kinds of engineers and physicists and scientists and inventors. Yeah. They were also contributing and bringing in all this tech. So they wanted to develop all this earth-friendly tech and bring it out. And Brown got killed. Uh, he was given cancer with an energy weapon, is my right. understanding. Right. In 1999. And uh, I had to go into hiding. Those tend to be cancers that move really fast also, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I had, I everybody that worked with him had to go into hiding. I had to go into hiding. Um, and then Stanley Meyer, I met one of Stanley Meyer's guys. They He told me that everyone that worked closely with Stanley was poisoned. Yeah, Stanley was died. poisoned, too. Stanley was poisoned, yeah. Um but all of his colleagues were poisoned, and some of them died, some of them didn't, and um, that put the end to that. But so, they, they, were, they were all doing the same thing, basically. What they were doing is taking metal tubes, and, you know, let's say yay long, let's say 18 inches long, uh-huh. specific alloys, made of very specific alloys, very specific dimensions, lengths, and diameters, bundling them, bundling them together like in a Gatling gun arrangement. So you have this uh-huh. bundle of tubes. Right. You put it inside of a cylinder full of water, and then you pulse electricity in one end at a very specific frequency, and you have the, you know, the anode and the cathode on each opposite end. So you pulse uh-huh. this DC electricity through at very specific frequencies, and it will make the H2O mo- molecules disassociate, and it doesn't use more energy than it creates. It creates right. huge amounts of of HHO gas, which is a different um, stoichiometric arrangement of of H2O. Mm-hmm. Basically, the atoms are arranged in a linear geometric pattern rather than a triangular one. And so you get this gas that's like a fourth phase of water. It, it burns, but it doesn't explode. It implodes with great, great force. And, and that's still with the oxygen. Yeah, it's basically... I mean, it's not really oxygen. It's H H O. It's you know, it's it's not O two, but it's not O two, and it's the not O H2. would become the byproduct of the combustion, right? Right. It's H H O. But when you combust it, it becomes liquid H two O again. So when you're running an engine on it, you get H two O out of the you get liquid water out of the tailpipe, not oxygen. You get some oxygen, but you get mostly uh, mostly water, water vapor, mostly water. Yeah. That's and um, it's amazingly efficient too, um, you know, when you're running an engine on it. But uh, but when you run a welder off of it, I actually got a welder, a, a small welder, 
that ran on this stuff for a couple of weeks and it would weld anything to anything. You know, you can weld. And you can put your hand in the flame and you don't get burned, right? Well, you would if you left it in, but you could, you could brush your hand through the flame and it felt cold. If you yeah. just left it on it, it would burn you. Okay. But, um, but if you brushed it through it, it wouldn't burn you and it felt cold. Right. Um, but when you put it to a material, it would heat it up extremely fast. So, you know, anybody who knows about welding, it's really hard to weld tungsten because tungsten is what they use in light bulb filaments. And it really, has a really high melting point, like 5,000 degrees or something. It's really hard to melt. Yeah. This, this, uh, this welder would sublimate tungsten, which means converting it from a solid to a gas instantly. Wow. Instant. Just skipping so it, the liquid phase. Yeah, exactly. And the reason it would do that is because it was interacting at the atomic level. So it wouldn't, it wasn't like melting something in the conventional matter by exciting the atoms and then breaking the bonds and turning it into a liquid. Right. It would actually, rearrange the atoms at the subatomic level and so it basically did alchemy and so you could weld like glass to metal or wood to plastic or you know ceramic to wood or anything to anything you can you could weld it together it's really amazing but the point so, is all the, all these technologies mm-hmm. are ready to go now oh they've been for at least 100 years, if not more. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, And Stephen Greer says the same thing, too. Yeah. And yeah. The, so the issue is not we need decades of research or anything like that. No. And, there, and there's a reason that the people working on destroying things right now say use solar and wind is because in their current state, they're not nearly capable of telling. No, they're useless. Yeah, yeah they're, they're completely impractical and expensive and they don't work. In the cold wave in Texas, that's what they told them to rely on and everybody. Yeah, that's a joke. Yeah. Any, any energy technologies that are allowed on the market are only going to be centralized ones that the powers that be can control and profit from right. until this control is broken. So people have to understand that the current environmental movement, you know, which I, I've considered myself a really strong environmental uh, proponent since the early 60s, but the, what's being... Uh, supported as the environmental movement to cut out your energy use and various things like that, stop traveling and use solar right. and w- supposedly use solar and wind. That's to destroy society. That's not exactly. for ecological, you know. Exactly, exactly. Because even if you, let's say that you did release free energy and all these amazing technologies that could change the planet and get us off of coal and nuclear, et cetera. Yeah. Okay. You can't just release it willy-nilly. You have to have a migration path. Otherwise, you would destroy the world's economies. You know, it's right. like if you if you release a disruptive technology and just let the marketplace do what it will with it, it would destroy economies and there would be hellacious chaos. So you have to have a migration path. And that's why it's so obvious to me that the so-called Build Back Better plan and the Great Reset and all that crap, uh-huh. is, it's exactly what you said. It's designed to enslave us and kill off Earth's population because right. if they were, were going to migrate to just the conventional solar and you know, all of these alternative technologies on the market that are allowed out, you'd still have to have a migration path. You can't just like shut off the oil supply to the United States and then switch to solar. Right, but there's no danger of that because solar's not efficient enough. That's right. It's not viable. You, there's, you'd have to cover the planet with 
with solar farms, you know, right. it's ridiculous, even though they're getting more efficient, but they're not nearly the, what they could be. So what this all brings you back to is the issue is not a technological barrier. No, the, the issue all. is that the planet is in satanic control. That's right. And, That's that right. The, and that they're involved. See if you agree with me on this, but you know, what I came to quite a while ago is that it's a ceremonial sacrifice that has to, proceed by certain protocols that are very specific and if they violate those they don't get what they think is their reward on another level and exactly so that that's what buys us time to turn it around but turning it around is going to require changing the fact of where the control is coming from right now right and there there are natural energies that are coming to the planet because we're you know we're always in motion in this cosmos and the earth and the solar system and everything is in motion so we're moving we move through these different bands of energy and the and the bands of energy that we're moving in through now is making a lot of change happen so the paradigm the control paradigm is breaking down but it's exactly right you know some people call it universal law that these controllers have to adhere to but what it really is is the laws of physics because the reason that they you know they're not going to worry about some moral or ethical law that some higher being god or whatever imposes on them they don't care about that it's it's really the laws of physics in that you know consciousness creates reality and consciousness has polarity because it's a form of this scalar energy it's it's light it's superluminal light it's intelligence and really it's it's God consciousness itself this energy that emanates from the centers of galaxies it has intelligence behind it it's what I would liken to God consciousness or intelligence. Um, and so, um, so they have to adhere to the way that energy of consciousness operates. So if they go and, let's say, just kill off the population of Earth without having the population acquiesce and agree to it, right. then that energy is going to come back and destroy them. So they have yeah. to be, they have to have guile and be conniving to trick the population into agreeing to their own enslavement and their own self-destruction. And, and that so, protocol has been around for a long time. Yes. You know, and, at, and it's not just the people on Earth. No. It's not, it's not just these humans on Earth, like the so-called Illuminati or the, you know, I call them the world management, the powers that be, that have been, you know, families that have been controlling Earth for thousands of years, it goes beyond that. They're not even in control. No, um, you know it's it's extraterrestrial in nature, and uh, and it also involves extraterrestrial artificial intelligence. And so these people think that by enslaving the population and doing the bidding of their masters, that they will, you know, it will give them power and freedom and et cetera, et cetera. But it only does for a limited time before that that extraterrestrial component and the AI behind it takes them over and wipes them out as well. There's so, another aspect too, because I, what I'm seeing totally subject to error, you know, because my vision's not perfect on any of this stuff. Obviously we're all learning, but um, what it looks like to me is that the control is coming, not primarily from ET sources, but from extra dimensional sources. Right. And what we would call ETs really, most of them are extra dimensional, at least the more advanced ones. Um, because these, for example, these three reptilians that I encountered physically, they were gigantic. You know, they were like the small one was about 12 feet tall and the large one was about 18 feet tall. And I didn't touch them, but I saw them physically. 
but they didn't need a spacecraft to travel. They just used their consciousness to travel wherever they needed to be. And I don't know if it was holographic or if they were physically there. I believe they were physically there because I could feel this energy coming off of them that was very strong. But they could have had some very powerful holographic technology that allowed them to do that as well. Um, but that's been my experience at these more advanced extraterrestrials. They don't need ships and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can just use their own consciousness because the vehicle becomes the spacecraft, so to speak. Because, again, space and time aren't what we think they are. And so um, we've so kind of been... Like a movie, isn't it? Projected by consciousness. Yeah, we're, we're living in this hologram that's being created by all consciousness, all different kinds at every scale. I mean, think about like the consciousness of an atom, the consciousness of a microbe yeah. uh, or, you know, an just insect. because it doesn't look like a person doesn't mean it's unconscious. Right. It's just different levels of complexity in the ways I conceive of it. Because if you think about like a dog or a cat, you know, they obviously have a much higher level of complexity of thought than maybe a worm does perhaps um but not as complex as a human being does right um that's what it looks like yeah yeah it appears to be um and so i think my impression is that we have and it also kind of goes in line with the physics when you think about the physics of it but in my impression is that the more and more complex a life form becomes the more complex its awareness and thinking becomes and which are just patterns of energy, really. And so you've got some of these beings that are millions or billions or trillions of years developed beyond us as far as we conceive of time. Um, they, some of them have developed to the point where, yeah, they don't, they're not even physical. They're energy beings, you know, and they can go wherever they want. They can just think it and they're there. And they can manifest all kinds of stuff. I mean, there are extraterrestrials. I was told by these these reptilians that there are ETs that use planets and moons and structures like that as weapons, that they can hurtle them through space and use them like weapons in each other and, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff. So, um, so you know, we, again, we're kind of like that amoeba trying to understand the 57 Chevy. We, we yeah. can only understand our frame of reference. And we use all these metaphors to describe things. But as long as we have a working model that allows us to function, you know, with health and happiness, et cetera, then who cares, right? I mean, we do our best to understand the cosmos, but we're really just using metaphors for a lot of it. Um, But something has to be done with the control system to get to a point that's not suicidal for life on the planet, because it, it looks to me like the plan is to eliminate a hundred percent of life on this planet. Not yeah, most of it, if not all of it. Yeah. Not- that from what I've gleaned from my extraterrestrial contacts and also from other people I know who are having ongoing ET contact, physical contact with various kinds of ETs. And then also people in the secret space programs and having conversations with them and scientists in the secret space programs, um, kind of putting all this stuff together that I've picked up from them. My impression is what's going on is that, you know, this reptilian race that people are calling the Draco reptilians they have been apparently taken over by this uh, AI, this artificial intelligence that that ha- creates these uh, nano 
tech, these nanoparticles that are, you know, can self-assemble into the body. So these reptilians have been infected by this, this AI nanotechnology and then this extraterrestrial AI, which operates. What I was shown by these reptilians is that there are planets where there are artificial intelligent populations of machines, like these machine populations are kind of like in the Terminator movies, but not exactly. And these machine beings, even though they can self-replicate, they need organic beings because they cannot, they can only emulate consciousness. They don't have true consciousness because biological organisms, because they were created by what we would call God or the universe or whatever, we have a structure that's linked to God or source. That's right. And so we're, we're, we're like little antennas for this God consciousness that's flowing in all the time. And we're an expression of it. And we put our little, our local frequency on it, you know, like the Ken frequency and the Richard, Richard frequency. <clears throat> and we express ourselves and, and God expresses itself through that. I mean, as far as we can understand, right? And so <clears throat> AI machine beings don't have that connection. They can't create that connection. So what they do is, they send skater signals through time and space to populations of organic beings that are that are at our pre-Stone Age level of development, usually kind of like what we might call proto-humans, but it's all kinds of different life forms, you know, humanoid, I would say, life forms, and maybe others. And they start manipulating these populations by sending these skater signals to get them to dream up technologies so in the beginning it's very rudimentary technologies like the wheel and the lever and very basic basic stuff uh-huh. but they continue sending these skater signals over thousands of years or you know however it's measured on whatever planetary reference point reference system but they keep sending these signals so that the population will develop technology and when it reaches the point where we're at where you've got computers and software and you have the ability to create satellites and you know, know, in a wireless global network and a wireless satellite network, that gives them the infrastructure where they can then take over the planet and wipe out the organic population. And so what they do is they get, like you see what's going on on Earth, you get people to develop computers and software and AI to a certain point, and they develop this, like the 5G global satellite network that they're putting up. And then they initially start out with, handheld devices like cell phones, for example, and they get everybody buying into this network to develop a, a global internet and eventually becomes wireless. Um, and so basically everybody's, or most people are walking around with these cell phones that not only monitor and spy on them, but they can also control them to a certain degree and influence their thoughts, et cetera, et cetera, in various ways. And, but then they migrate away from the handheld devices to wearables and then implantable chips. And then once they've got everybody chipped, or at least the majority of everybody chipped, then they can collect people's biometric data, and specifically the scalar biometric data, as well as the electromagnetic. And once they've got that, then they no longer need any of the tracking technology or hardware, because the body itself is a scalar fractal antenna, and every living organism has its own unique scalar signature. It's like snowflakes kind of. And so, so once they've got your skater signature, it's like with quantum biofeedback, you know, the quantum biofeedback machine can, once it's read your pattern physically, then it can send energy to you anywhere in the cosmos. It can read you and then it can send energy to anywhere in the cosmos. So for example, 
a couple of years ago, I was in India. I went to India and I was uh, there for three weeks and I went to several different events and I was speaking at one large event at the end and I wound up picking up really bad food poisoning. So I was laid up in bed, vomiting and in really bad shape. And I had my wife call my quantum biofeedback practitioner here in Florida and she called her up and said, zap Ken every day for the next five days until he has to go and do this presentation, right? And there was no way I was going to be able to do that presentation in the state I was in. And I was taking supplements and all this stuff to, you know, kill off this bug, whatever it was. Right. And, um, and I think the, uh, the quantum biofeedback device identified as a combination of mold and a bacteria. And, um, and so between the supplements I was taking and getting zapped every day remotely from this machine, I was able to, in five days, I was able to get rid of it. And by the time I got up on stage, I was fine, right? Mm. Um, that would not have happened if I didn't have that technology. So in the same way, and it, it could track me. I could have been on Mars, and it could have done the same thing. And because scalar waves are what physicists call non-local, um, so they're not dependent, they're not, traveling through space physical space like a transverse wave and therefore they can kind of hit you wherever you're at by because they know your your energetic signature and so it's the same thing with these ai uh, control systems once they've got your scalar signature and you're the antenna then they no longer need any chips or tracking devices of any kind you become the tracking device, and then you can be controlled, your thoughts can be controlled, your health can be controlled, your biological functions can be controlled. So that's the end game here. Once that happens, then what they do uh, is uh, they have these, they're probably interdimensional, they're probably quantum computing systems where consciousness can be uploaded into these computing systems. And so you can be stored at like a computer program, so to speak, but you're like a running program. It's, it's like the program that is normally you operating in a physical body will be operating inside of a virtual reality on a very sophisticated computer. And so that's why all of the transhumanism on Earth, that's why they're pushing all this, you know, in movies and television and videos and media, et cetera, et cetera. They're pushing this transhumanist idea, especially with young people, um, you know, this idea that, well, you can start out augmenting yourself with technologies and then you can develop superpowers where you can <clears throat> like access everything on the internet with your brain without having to use a web browser, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. or, you know, do all these amazing things and operate in a virtual reality like this <clears throat> so-called metaverse that, yeah. that uh, what's his name? Zuckerberg is uh, coming up with. It's all about migrating people out of physical bodies and into uh, an AI computer that you can then be harvested and utilized much more efficiently. That's where it's headed if we don't stop it. Yeah. So you mentioned the connection to the source we came from, which I think is constant with everybody, even if they're unconscious of it. And I see that as really the only thing that looks like a solution. You know, you you said that we're holographic in nature. And I, my understanding of that means that in some form, the whole is included in the part. Yeah, well, that's that's exactly what a hologram is. If you, you know, if you take one of those little holograms, like a little hologram picture, uh, 
yeah. and you cut a piece of it off, then you get a little piece with the whole picture in the little piece, right? If it's a real hologram, it has the entire picture in the piece. Exactly. No matter exactly. what You can piece break it up have. into a million pieces, and each piece will have the entire picture in one little piece, right? Right. That's how, how a hologram really works. So it's exactly how our universe is structured. This is something Nassim Harriman has been talking about, how the if you look inside of atoms and you look at the structures inside of atoms, they have the same structure and quantities as the whole cosmos. Yeah, and that's just on the physical level. Right. You know, and what we're talking about is something above the energy level and pure consciousness, not light, right. but what light came from. Right. And, and it's self-aware. And it seems to me that because of that, the real meaning of made in the image of God, you know, it's not physically that you've got the perfect size body or something. It's non, it's non-form. It, it's pure consciousness or spirit. Yeah. So if that, if we, if we, or I should say more optimistically, when we remove the blocks between us as an apparent, you know, apparently separate expression of that original form that can operate through us, at which point we have no limitations on what we can do. Right. Anything short of that, there are limitations. Right. And th- I think that's why some of these extraterrestrials have abilities that we would consider supernatural because they've just evolved farther along than we have. Some up- yeah. And everything is supernatural anyway. Right. It's supernatural is just, just something you don't understand. There's <laughs> different levels, right? It's all normal nature. So if we got that original source to fully act through us because we give it permission and all our job is is to have the intent like healing, harmony, uh, everything going back to its ideal form and then let that do the work, not as a belief, but I'm talking about as a real experiential internal change just like we feel that we're these forms right now. Right. Um, I think that changes everything. And instead of having to fight the bad guys, which is the lower level concept that looks like the only choice right now, we wake the other guys up because they're holograms too. Right. There's no, no form is intrinsically evil. It's just self-deceived and it identifies as that. And, it has to be respected because, you know, you have to deal with what it's doing. But if you took off the programming all the way down to the essence, it's made of the same hologram of the source that we are. Right. Exactly. And I, and I think, you know, I think it was um, Buckminster Fuller that said, you know, the way you change the paradigm is not by trying to break the old paradigm. It's by creating a new paradigm that's so much better. Everybody will opt in for that. Exactly. Yeah, I'm paraphrasing, but basically, so you let idea. this come through you, and you can do what looks impossible now, which is inspire right. apparently evil beings, right, to change. And when you see, you know, the the kind of the hundredth monkey concept, when you see somebody do something that you, a, a regular human being that you would consider supernatural, then it yeah. it opens you up to the possibility that you could do it yourself. That's right. Yeah. So, for example, years ago. When I was, you know, t- teaching natural healing and I was doing individual consultations, I wound up meeting two people that a, f- a friend of mine, um, he was a psychologist who um, 
realized that his training was bogus. So he sought out real healing and he found a lot of amazing healing techniques. And one of them was working on the mind to heal physical ailments. And so he came across two different women who had been in car wrecks and had injured their neck vertebrae. Mm-hmm. And one lady, you know, they, they were, they both had the C3, four and five vertebrae in their necks that got damaged and fused together. One woman, the doctors wired the vertebrae together in her neck so they would stay together. Right. And the bone fused up around it all, right? But both these ladies had the bone was just fused into one chunk of bone and they couldn't move very well and they're in pain and all kinds of stuff. Their lives are a mess. And this guy worked on just great therapies. What's that? They're not great therapies when you start fusing bones that are smooth. And you know, I mean the in one lady the bones just fused themselves together because of the injury. But uh, but this guy worked on their minds, specifically, especially the unconscious mind, yeah. for two two-hour sessions. And in both cases, the the vertebrae in their necks returned to normal, and the lady with the wire in her neck, the wire disappeared. So that completely changed my belief about what's possible with healing. I know. I think, you know, it looks like the analogy is correct that this is like a really high-tech movie. And so if you run up to the screen and start pushing the images around, it's not very satisfying. But -hmm. if you can get back to the projector, which is inside each person, you can just put a whole different movie in there. Right. I'll give you an example. Personally, last July when I got hit with this energy weapon and I came very close to dying, so initially, you know, like the first week I'm laying in bed, coughing up blood, and I'm in intense pain 24-7. It was just torture. Right. And, um, and I'm having all these really weird dreams and all kinds of stuff. And I knew the power of my mind, so I kept using my mind uh, along with quantum biofeedback. Uh, I'm using my mind to, you know, heal myself. And... Um, it wasn't working so well, but, you know, I was getting, well, the first week it was rough. But, um, but eventually I, get, I kept getting worse and worse and worse. I wasn't getting better. I was getting worse. And I got to the point where every night about 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, my heart would start fibrillating, fibrillating really bad. And it would feel like at any moment I was going to have a heart attack. Mm-hmm. And I really felt it. And it, it, it's hard to describe, but I could tell it's like, I was coming very close to death because like this, this, I would get, start getting surrounded by all this blackness. It's like blackness was starting closing me and I would feel like, like I was being sucked away. And, um, and I've had that experience one time when I was 19 years old, I was in a motorcycle wreck and I died on the road and I left my body. I was going up this tunnel of light. It was kind of like that, except it was more of a negative experience where I was being sucked into this black, yeah. Whole. And, um, and, and, you know, it was interesting what came to mind as this was happening. I'm like struggling to keep my mind in focus and physical. And, uh, and I recalled this old episode of uh, the original Star Trek where, you know, Captain Kirk, he's always getting in trouble with somebody and they're doing right. things, torture him. So I remember this one where like he was being tortured by some ETs and they were messing with him and he was in a lot of pain. And he was like struggling and fighting with it. And he used his mind to pull himself out of it and to do, you know, like something to hit a button or something to 
zap ETs or whatever. And I, it like this, so this vision came to my mind and I just kept thinking like, okay, I'm going to pull myself out of this with my mind, kind of like Captain Kirk did in those whole episodes. And it worked. Did Mr. Spock help him do that or did he figure it out? <laughs> no, he did it on his own. He's like, okay. I just remember he was like, eh, you know, like doing that. Yeah. And he like he was good at a lot of strain, right? Yeah. So I did. I just like pulled myself out of it like that, and you know, and it went away. Um, but it was really, you know, it was really scary. So, so we do. We have that power. And then, of course, you've got people like Joe Dispenza and Dr. Bruce Lipton who are teaching about epigenetics and how to use the mind to change your reality and heal physical ailments and stuff. And I mean, yeah. at every every uh, event that they do, they have all kinds of healing miracles and stuff. So the mind is extremely powerful. And that's why the powers that be spend so much energy and effort to mind control us and to keep us in very limited thinking so that we don't recognize how powerful we are and break our, you know, our bondage. Right. So a lot of our own chains are being projected by the mind. And and being self-imposed, yeah. And they only appear to be real. I mean, it's like it's like with COVID. You know, you can present hard facts from world-renowned virologists and laboratories and doctors showing what's really going on, and people choose to refute it. They choose to get vaccinated. They choose to go along with the public narrative. They choose to ignore mountains of evidence from highly credentialed people showing this fraud and instead they choose to believe in this fantasy which is kind of like santa claus and because it's a metaphor for their life it's the way they live their their entire lives you know believing what they were told by their they're educated and they've watched tv right it's like they've been programmed and they can break their programming but they choose not to their pr- part of the programming is don't break the programming. Right. It's like MK Ultra. I've, I've met several MK Ultra people. One of them told me, she's like, I've been trained to kill people that try to break my programming. Yeah. So like they're programmed to not let their programming be broken. Exactly. Hmm. Interesting. And that's why you see all these automatic responses. It's also why you see highly intelligent people drinking the Kool-Aid. Uh, that's a really interesting point because it it forces you to find a new definition of intelligence. Yeah, it has nothing to do with intelligence. It has to do with how much a person's pineal gland is opened up and how much they're using the right hemisphere of their brain. Because yeah. what it boils down to is empathy and intuition and the and discernment. When and you the learn that you, those are all garbage in school. Right, exactly. You know, We've like been conditioned. A real scientist has no intuition, no feeling, no opinion on anything. Exactly. Uh, doesn't believe in common sense, only believes in repeating uh, approved sources of information. Right. Logical, hierarchical thinking, yeah. not empathy, not balancing the logical, hierarchical thinking because it's important to have that. But you've got to balance it with intuition and empathy. Well, the centers of, for disease creation are always right. Yeah. Whatever they say. So that's why these people, I mean, I know people with multiple PhDs, extremely intelligent people, people I respect, yeah. love them, and they're just totally hoodwinked and drinking the Kool-Aid. Yeah, me too. And there's no talking to them. It doesn't matter. Like I said, even you show them, it's like, well, the science, the science. They'll start saying, oh, what about the science? The science. Okay, well, here's Dr. Luke Montagnier, Nobel Prize winning virologist. Here's, that means he's a quack. 
Yeah, this, this, this. Here's all these renowned people. Here's people working in the drug companies. Here's one from Pfizer. Here's the CEO, former former lead uh, scientist at Pfizer, et cetera. It's like, doesn't matter. So you're fortunate that they're not one of the ones programmed to kill you if you threaten. (laughs) (laughs) So the question is, those people are not reachable that way. But they're reachable subliminally. Well, open up your connection so that you're networked. Unfortunately, for most of these people, the way that they're going to wake up and open up is either through the death process or from trauma. Yeah. You know, a lot of them are are having to learn it through the death process and the other ones are learning from trauma. Okay, so I'm proposing something, an alternative to that. And that's putting the responsibility on us, saying that the amount of power not in our little personality selves, which are artificial anyway, but in our connection to that source you mentioned, is so unbelievably, indescribably strong to overcome any form of darkness and misunderstanding and programming that if we, instead of figuring out how to reach the unreachable people, if we figure out how to identify and remove the blocks that we've gotten so used to we don't even perceive them anymore and just open up level after level after level so that that power flows through us without restriction we can have an effect on everybody in our movie that are like extras in the production yeah that includes those people you cannot talk to oh you're absolutely right and that you would rewrite their script like they could re- rewrite years if they woke up first. Yeah, you're and, absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, I've seen it done. Yeah, I've seen it done. I've got the well, you know, like Nani, she wrote this meditation, and she was telling me about how, you know, her mother chose to get vaxxed, and she wound up saving her mom just by having her in her field and in her meditations and in her sphere of influence. Right. She didn't convince her to not get vaxxed. She no, just that wouldn't work. Right. So what I'm saying is the theory that everybody, and this looks like it's right, everybody in your world, you know, you're the center of it, and everybody else is the center of theirs. And everyone that you're aware of, you know, I, for example, am talking to you as a character in your movie right now, that you're projecting as being like this. And you could help me get free just by opening up any unknown barriers in your consciousness right now and it could be not just me but like a snowball effect out to everybody in your world without having to talk to any of them and i I know just saying that doesn't do anything but but what i'm suggesting is if that's true and it looks like it is to me at the moment i want to move from talking about it to doing it and we know for a fact that no one has done it yet because look around You know, this would not be happening because any one person in the movie could change the entire movie. So no one even was aware that there had ever been anything imperfect before. Yeah. And, you know, if you look at the practice of Ho'oponopono, for example, which is an old Hawaiian kahuna technique of basically apologizing for your role in anything damaging and negative around you and then thanking the cosmos or universe for for everything in your reality and of course you know the story is dr uh hugh len 
who was a psychologist or a psychiatrist at a psychiatric hospital in Hawaii, they wound up closing down the psychiatric hospital because he healed everybody up by working on himself. Yes, he didn't even see the people, apparently. Right. What I got was that he got their files and that he worked with each file doing what you just said. Yeah. And the person changed and didn't need to be in the hospital anymore. Right. So we, we do have that power. And this is a bigger hospital, that's all. Yeah. And, you know, and it's, you know we're, we're co-creating everything, but we have our, our sphere of influence and, um, and our connections with others. And, uh, you know, I'm doing right now, I'm doing a month-long meditation course with a, an Indian man who is really amazing, uh, a guy who is a very powerful manifester. He's created a lot of amazing things for himself and the world. And um, so I, I, it's like when I heard that he was giving a, a webinar on meditation and power of manifestation, I was like, oh, I got to be in on this because this guy has manifested amazing things. Right. So, yeah, we, we need to learn from each other and expand our understanding, awareness, and empower ourselves, and then we can definitely help others. I think that's, you know, the biggest fear of the controllers is that we're not just going to find out about that idea, but reconnect to it and do it. And so to prevent that, you know, as an ultimate reason for projecting fear into the atmosphere around the planet. Because if people are afraid, they're not going to realize, like Dorothy at the end of The Wizard of Oz, she was always wearing the slippers. And she didn't have to find the wizard. It right. Was, it was hers all the time. Yeah, and that's it. In my experience up to this point, I would say that I've been on this path of becoming and and... <clears throat> You know, we're not just learning and thinking about this stuff. We're becoming this stuff. We are being this. And so the more that we, the bigger our comprehension and awareness gets, the bigger we become. And so from a, a conventional human standpoint, you know, we develop more powers or more abilities or whatever. But it's really just operating within alignment of the way the whole cosmos operates. Getting out of the way. Mm-hmm. With a certain awareness and consciousness. And mm-hmm. I think we're hooked up to this feedback mechanism like an expensive neurobiofeedback lab might be. And everything that we experience during the day, every day, is giving us feedback about how close we are to being connected. Right, yeah. Yeah, when you're, when you're out of alignment with the way the, the universe works, the universe keeps smacking you upside the head. Wake up, wake up. Yeah, this, and it can do that in the form of other people's bad actions. And <laughs> then if you're not aware, you say, oh, that stupid other person's bad yeah. actions. You know, that has nothing to do with me. I'm the victim. And it also, it doesn't discount the role of divinity or God or source, however you want to refer to it. It doesn't discount that role either because, you know, sometimes religious people will take exception by when you, we say, you know, we create our reality. It's like, well, that means there's no God. Well, no, that doesn't mean that. Um, and there is uh, what I was told, for example, uh, by these reptilians is that this extraterrestrial AI gets wiped out from time to time uh, as different localities in the cosmos pass through these bands of energy. So it's like it, otherwise it would just take over everything and then you would, you wouldn't have any organic beings anymore. So the universe has its way of wiping it out from time to time. 
uh, in places so that it doesn't become a problem. And then when you look at the really, really big picture, even though this AI may be creating all kinds of problems, <clears throat> it goes back to really it's just a game of consciousness. You know, it's like if everything was perfect all the time, things would get pretty boring pretty fast. You know, and I was reminded of this one time while I was complaining about how evil the Bush family was, you know, Herbert Walker and George W. And and they said to me, well, actually, it pay, it takes a higher level of consciousness to play the bad guy in your reality. And I was like, ooh, I never thought about that. But in that's brought- not intrinsically who those guys are. They're, they're spirit like we are, and they're just covered up with these mountains of programming. Yeah. That make them read the script of the bad guy and believe that's them. Yeah, we, we come into this reality choosing the potentials that we're going to experience and and certainly people play roles i mean it's like when i look at the crazy all the crazy serendipitous things that have happened in my life there's no way i just fell into it by accident you know it's like before i even came in here there were potentials put in place that i would experience certain things so that i would be able to help humanity in the ways i'm able to do it and so, um, and I think that's true for everybody. When the more that you are in service to others, the more that the universe kind of conspires to help you. Um, right. But in the end, it's a it's a big reality with a lot of different players, and ultimately, I think there is some kind of supreme intelligence that is playing the game. So we're when we look at this, it's like, oh, they're evil, and that's evil, and this, it's really it's. From our perspective, but at the bigger picture of things, it's just a big game of consciousness. And when you remember that, then it's easier not to get caught up in the drama of things and maintain a a healthy, abundant reality. Yeah, I agree. And it's funny, you know, that people would think that it's discounting God, because if you really understand what, what we're talking about, the only being in existence is God. Yeah. The rest of it is, you know, looking through distorted lenses and things like that. Right. Yeah, which, you know, um, that's what they call it in the law of one, distortions. They, they call people distortions because our, I mean, if you think about it, like everybody's different. Everybody has their worldview and their, their conceptualization of reality. And it is a distortion, just like an amoeba has a distortion. An amoeba doesn't understand a 57 Chevy. As far as we know, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like <clears throat> that amoeba, there's no way that amoeba can con- contemplate like what a 57 Chevy would mean for somebody like a teenager in the 1950s going to a drive-in and a movie and making out, right? Yeah. <laughs> However much that, that amoeba can understand. so frustrated that it was too small to be driving the car. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, yeah. So maybe a really sophisticated amoeba could expand itself out and understand a bigger picture, but I kind of doubt it just because of the way it's, its complexity is. But at, at any rate, um, you know, it's like so we're, we're, we're all just understanding this through the lens and we all have our distortions. So how, I mean, we probably have to wrap up now, but um, if, if getting rid of your distortions and your barriers to normal full consciousness flowing through you so that you could make your ultimate contribution to yourself and the outside cosmos. From your experience, how does a person start with that? 
I mean, that could be another six-hour conversation, obviously. <laughs> yeah. But I'm well, I think it, I think it goes back to what all great teachers have always taught. It's purifying the mind and body, you know? So yeah. in a practical sense, that means detoxifying the body, which has to be a daily regimen, number one. You know, it's like, you know, we're in such a polluted environment, we've got to detox on a daily basis. So I, for example, take these nutrient detox tonics every day that detox me and bring in nutrients. And and then I also I take foods and supplements and things to nutrify my body and, you know, build up my brain and open up my pineal gland and that kind of stuff and my physical body. And, um, and then, you know, meditation is huge, I think, because meditation allows, it does a lot of different things. It allows you to connect with source. If you choose to, it allows you to develop strong focus. And when you can focus on things, then you can focus on what you want to create. Um, and then, uh, and you can physically heal the body, you know, by doing certain meditation techniques. Um, so it's, it's really, I think the tried and true low tech inexpensive for the most part ways, uh, you know, the great masters have always taught fasting and eating, you know, living food and, you know, that kind of stuff. And getting and, so that you can communicate with your body is really helpful too. Because yeah, exactly. otherwise, if you just any, no matter how good it is, if you read a written protocol and say, I have to do exactly that every day, you know, your body doesn't want the same thing every day. And it might be in a certain situation where it has to fast or it has to eat or it has to need sunlight or it needs extra sleep. And you're not going to know that by going and asking a doctor or a book. Right. So ultimately, the body being conscious, you've got to remake the connection. Right. I think also in a practical sense, too, for people listening, it also means becoming as comfortable with your inner world as your outer world. You know, we've been very, very much conditioned to be focused on the outer world and physical stuff and la, la, la. Right. But when you meditate, especially when you meditate at least an hour a day, you get used to going within and eventually the, the monkey mind and the chatter goes away and you can kind of clear things out and go blank. And that's where the magic really happens. But you can't, it's hard to conceive of being equally comfortable in this inner world as being comfortable with your outer world and actually even desiring that a lot of times. It's like when you get used to meditating regularly, you kind of get addicted to it. It's like it feels good. It's empowering. You want to do it. Because it's kind of like John Ashraf told me years ago when I was taking a mentoring course with him. He was in the movie The Secret, and he was famous for manifesting this beautiful house of his dreams without even really consciously attempting it because he just was, you know, f- focused on what he wanted. And he, he said that, um, oh, where was I going with this? I'm getting, losing my thought here. <clears throat> um, were you saying the basics of what people needed to do to start getting? Oh, going it was going within. Um, yeah. Well, oh well. For one thing, the first like the first three four months of his course. Now this was on financial freedom and entrepreneurship and you know building a business and that kind of stuff. But the first three right. months of this course was meditation, meditation, meditation. You know, like hours of meditation a day and 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 also doing affirmations. 
uh, over and over again, saying the same empowering things over and over again because that programmed you. And to this day, I still remember a lot of those. It, it almost became trite because we would kind of joke about it. You know, like I'm loving myself and forgiving myself, blah, 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 and those kinds of things. You know, there, remember there was a guy named Dick Sutphin in the 70s, I believe, who sold a lot of cassette tapes of affirmations. And what what wasn't understood sometimes is that affirmations, if you say them over and over in your mind, don't do anything unless they're connected with the emotion. Right. You have to experience that that's the feeling of what that would be like. That's right. And, and that's like, can, you mentioned Ho'oponopono, but it's connected to, um, I mean, there's a lot of clues like the Emoto water experiment where the lab tech learned how or was trained how to project um, an emotion, not just the word love, 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 gratitude, gratitude, because you can say those words and be thinking all kinds of completely different stuff (laughs) at the same time. But if you can get into the feeling and purify it, like isolating the virus, but you isolate the, the frequency of an emotion. Right. That's really powerful. Right. And it affects external things. The water was a clue to that. Right. So it would, there's a frequency of the physical success that the guy you're talking about was referring to. But everything, right. everything in our life, if you can project that emotion, not make believe, but for real, that you feel that you're in it. You know, that lab tech had to tell the glass of water, I love you and absolutely feel it. Mm-hmm. Not just mean it intellectually, that does nothing. Right. And once the feeling was there, the crystallization changed. And I don't see any reason why the whole outside world should not should be any more difficult than a glass of water, unless we believe it's impossible. Right, right, exactly. Mostly we all do. Exactly, but yeah. Getting rid of beliefs is a big, important part. And like you said, feeling it. And I, and I think that's where meditation is important, because if you're focused on let's say the water and your mind is jumping all over the place and you're thinking about did i leave the iron on you know i'm hungry right. whatever then yeah you're not focused on what and you're not going to feel it no you're saying love and you're feeling anxiety so you know if the water's fr- flash frozen it would show this disconnected pattern yeah if just learning that one lesson projecting the harmony that we'd like to see in the outside world the only trick to that in the middle of this really distracting environment is you have to actually feel that. Right? And that's a mu- it's like going into a gym feeling like you're paralyzed. Mm-hmm. What arm muscle, you know, how does it move? Mm-hmm. But if your intention is there and, and you keep it there, eventually the idea is that the arm moves. Very true. And, you know, <clears throat> that reminds me of something this... Um, this Indian guy in his meditation, his name is Shreyans Daga. For anybody who wants to check him out, he's really he's got really amazing courses. It's S H R E A N S. Slower, slower. S H R. S H R E A N S. D A G A. Shreyans Daga dot org, I believe it is. Might be dot com, but I believe it's dot org. E A D A like David. D-A-G-A, Daga. D-A-G-A, okay, got yeah, it. Daga, Shreyans Daga. Um, 
um, now that I've did all that, I'm forgetting what I, the point was here. Um, we're talking about affecting the outside world with meditation. No, it, it was a very specific thing. Uh, Some something that he was. Me, give me a moment. Let me let me let me think about. Um, uh, hell, I don't know. I've lost it. But anyway, um, well, you said his courses are really good. Anyway, right? Oh, his horse. His courses are fabulous. Um, gosh, I wish it was a very specific thing that would be very helpful to people. But anyway, maybe will come back. Hey, well, um, yeah, I'm, I, I just know. wanted to leave people with a place to start. You know, and a lot of these spiritual teachers online that we've seen, many of them totally neglect the physical body. And I think it was really important that you said they go together, you know, which they do. You can affect your emotions dramatically by changing your physical chemistry. Right. Oh, I know. Now I got the thought back. So don't interrupt me. Okay. This is something that he mentioned is very, very true. I found he said that the difference between memory and trauma is the emotional charge that you have on a memory. So the goal is that, and the way to empower yourself is to do this work like meditation and such to release the emotional charge around past traumas. And then it just becomes a memory, but it's no longer affecting your present. Mm -hmm. And so I definitely found that to be very true. And you can do that with meditation and emotional healing work and also just physical detoxification and nutrition. You know, it's like it works all different ways. So for example, my mind and my brain work so much better, even though right now, not that well, because I, I, actually, you know, I haven't had much sleep in the last few oh, days. Right. Um, but uh, I pulled an all-nighter the night before last, and we didn't get a lot last night. But um, <clears throat> that's probably why you're forgetting stuff, is you want to... It's exactly sleep. why. I've, I've been <laughs> running on very little sleep this week. Normally, like, bed, but normally my really brain works... right now. Yeah, and normally my brain works works really well because I, I take nutrients in that feed it. Right. And it makes a huge difference, especially iodine and like blue-green algae and a few other things I take every day, and that really, really helps. So, yeah, I'm going to get a couple of night, good nights sleep, and then I'll be back to normal. But um, That's when those nutrients get used is yeah. when you go to sleep. Yeah, yeah. So... So anyway, I would I would leave it with folks with that. It's like, you know, these practical things, meditation, nutrition, detoxification, emotional healing work, reprogramming the unconscious mind. Those are all the techniques that I've been teaching for years. And become aware of patterns that you're not consciously, you know, supporting that you have to do A, B or C that you know is not going to help you. Just because your programming says keep doing it, you know, you don't have to do that. You, you're in charge, not the program. Decide, you know, decide to do stuff that's actually good for you all the time and you find out it's not so bad. It's got yeah. good results. Yeah. So yeah. We've, we've got more to talk about after you sleep for a while. Okay. <laughs> that was incredible. So hold on, we'll say goodbye in the break here. All right, you guys, there goes Ken Rolla. Um, great person in my opinion and uh, his site freshandalive.com is worth looking at I most of the stuff I can't tell you personally about because I haven't experienced it but rest shield I can that was really good and I, there's an adapter 
that you can even put it in your car. Um, normally, I have mine close to where I sleep, and it really uh, is measurably uh, effective in, well, I don't know, because you, maybe you can't analyze the meaning of all the electronic data, but experientially, which really is what matters, it seems to make much better sleeping. And I think Ken says it is good for about a 20-foot radius, something like that, for neutralizing uh, the effect of wireless radiation from routers and stuff like that, routers in your neighbor's house or anything that might disturb the environment where you're trying to sleep or even during the day. But what I really noticed a big difference about it from was uh, when I had to take a long trip in a rented car. And some of these newer rented cars that you get from these big companies, they have very uh, extensive wireless technology in them. And I've taken drives that were a few hours long in those cars when I had to rent one for something. And I felt really exhausted by the... I think it was largely the effect of the built-in technology. I took the rest shield and unplugged it from the wall, put the adapter on it, plugged it into the, I guess they used to call them cigarette lighters, but it was some kind of uh, electronic port in the car. And I was totally refreshed after a 12-hour drive. It was really amazing. So a lot of that stuff on freshandalive.com could be worth looking at. There are all kinds of nutritional things and stuff like that. And then, as as Ken mentioned, uh, freshandaliveclub.com is access to his private group where they're talking about things that he might get censored for on most of the social media, and that's freshandaliveclub.com. Doug and I both got into that. What else? Um, Anyway, we're going to be sharing uh, information a lot more frequently, I think, and what would help against transfection from the vaccines and uh, wireless radiation, 5G effects, chemtrail effects, and stuff like that. So um, stay in touch with what Ken's doing at freshandaliveclub.com and on our work with uh, lostartsradio.com. And also, if we happen to disappear on certain platforms that think that our material should not be heard by anybody, if you stay aware of what's on lostartsradio.com slash live, L-I-V-E, that'll be access and links to uh, audio and video platforms where we're not censored. And that way you don't lose touch. And uh, we'll keep that up to date as much as possible. There there are a lot of new, really good platforms that do not censor, you know, similar to BitChute and Brideon, and we're on several of those that you can find out by at lostartsradio.com. I think that's about all I was going to tell you. Um, just at the bottom line that we got to in the show, it was kind of a long discussion, and we could have gone on a lot longer, is that there the potential of turning things around, and there's a lot that needs to be turned around. You know, it's kind of like a consciousness test for humanity, which is barely showing signs of partially waking up at the moment. But you can have a massive impact on that, you personally. And we just barely got into that at the end of the show. 
but apparently Ken and I have come to a similar con- connect uh, conclusion that this thing that people talk about, you know, in religions and things, and they call it God or spirit, both of us have come to the conclusion that that's absolutely real and everywhere and connected to everybody and accessible. And it's reawakening, re-enlivening that connection, not as a belief, because you can believe it and be doing all kinds of other weird stuff at the same time. I'm talking about in your everyday life, instead of just meditating when you get up and go to bed, which is a great idea to do, the goal of that is to live in that other frequency that Ken was talking about and remove the barriers to conscious connection to where we came from. And I think, you know, there's a lot of secrets that the controllers of the world are hiding from you right now. I think this is the top because their fear would be if you be, if you drop all the nonsense and the ego junk and the fighting with everybody and racism or really stupid stuff like that and just drop it all and, and get quiet and centered inside and start wishing everyone well instead of cr- condemning them in your feelings in your mind, everything starts changing and your connection to who you always were starts coming back. And I think that's what they're most afraid of. So taking that as guidance, seems to me it would be good for us all to do it, like now, right away, and start evaluating what are the blocks in us? What are the... See, when you understand that everybody, not in a belief, but for real, is us in another form, then you can get to where loving your neighbor as yourself is not make-believe. It can actually be real, even if they're doing stuff that you don't like, because you start to realize gradually who they are. And when you put out (sighs) blessings toward other people, which you have the power to do, they come right back to you instantaneously, and they help your awakening. And I... It's the only thing, I mean, I really support the outer um, good things that can be done. I think they're very important. Like the, what the truckers are doing in Canada is incredible. Physical level stuff is really important. But what happens with it as a result and the depth of impact that it has, whether it's visible or not, is a function of what you do inside that we were talking about projecting love and healing and harmony is not some silly kumbaya type belief. If you bypass that level of it and get right down to what is inside, becoming aware of what you're sending out now, it's real and it's powerful. And you're the person who could do all of it. You personally, not the rest of the audience. I'm talking to just you because I'm not kidding at all. So the reason to take the time to do these shows is to remind you, you know, you're our hope for the future. And everything you do is very powerful, positive, negative, neutral. Might as well make it conscious and start valuing the time from right now on. So please share the links as long as we're allowed to be on the air. Uh, There's a lot of resistance, so 
it would be nice if you want to help us get it out to more people. That would be great. If you have resources and you want to help us stay on the air, activate our projects that are on hold for funding, uh, you can donate at lostartsradio.com. And there's a subscribe star link there too. Either one works fine, the regular donate button or the subscribe star link or subscribe star um, slash or no, subscribestar.com slash lostartsradio. Any of that stuff works fine, and it's very much appreciated. But not if you're struggling for money. If you don't have money, take care of yourself. That's the most generous thing that you could do for the world is really take care of and upgrade yourself. You know? And your physical body is part of that. You can't be spiritual and just neglect your body and get good results. You've got to... Look inside. You don't have to eat any more garbage. You don't have to, you know, do things that aren't good for you. There's no reason to do that just because there's a pattern. And you get in touch with yourself and all the pressure of the addiction can dissolve. So I have to shut up and stop talking now, but that was a long show anyway. Take care of yourself. That's the message on all levels. Be nice to everybody, whether they so-called deserve it or not. There's a deeper thing going on. And uh, remember our Saturday show, too, Lost Arts Radio Live and Planetary Healing Club for the people that want to get more into the deeper aspects of this stuff, planetaryhealingclub.com. And I think that covers it. So have a good night. Thanks for staying with us. And we'll look forward to seeing you here next time. Have a good night. Introducing Lost Arts Radio on Subscribestar.com. Just go to Subscribestar.com slash Lost Arts Radio to find our rewards program offering 10 different giving levels starting at just 5 bucks a month. We offer incredible value for any rewards level, from extra monthly interview videos not available publicly to subscription-based Planetary Healing Club videos once, twice, or three times a month to private counseling sessions with Lost Arts Radio host Richard Sachs, to tech help with me, Doug Diamond. We even have one option where you can be the star on Lost Arts Radio as our guest on a specially produced show just for you. We conduct an interview with you and broadcast it to our growing network and listenership. Our subscribe star levels are one of a kind and offer great rewards for any budget. Please help support Lost Arts Radio. We can't do it without you. With increasing censorship on many of our channels, we really need your support today to keep doing what we're doing. As Richard says, we're not even at survival level yet. Lost Arts Radio has three weekly shows. Lost Arts Radio Live each Saturday night at 7.30 Eastern, 4.30 Pacific, which is a live stream currently on multiple platforms in case we get banned from some of the larger ones. Right now, we're on Facebook Live, Twitch, and DLive. You can access these broadcasts by going to www.lostartsradio.com live for all the links to those channels. The Planetary Healing Club meets right after Lost Arts Radio Live at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific on Saturday nights. And our Sunday show with guests airs at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific on Sunday nights on our Blog Talk Radio channel, our YouTube channels, Facebook pages, and on Brideon. Be sure to sign up for our free email list just in case we do get banned on big text platforms. It's just a matter of time, really. They don't like the stuff we talk about, and they do not want the truth out there. In fact, they have already attacked us numerous times. 
Join our free email list so we can let you know where we are and how to access our shows. The sign-up button is right on the top right on most pages of our website. The best starting point for all things Lost Arts Radio is our main site, lostartsradio.com, where you can find the hottest news selection videos that we curate just for you. Those are on the homepage and added to daily, as well as articles and breaking news about information you really need to know. Our show archives, the 10 most recent shows, are right on our homepage, as well as our Blog Talk Radio page at blogtalkradio.com slash lostartsradio, or just click the All Things Radio Show tab right on our website. We're in the podcast directory on iTunes, and all of our shows except the band ones are on our YouTube channel, at Lost Arts Radio. Our Brideon page is really taking off, and we often have editors' picks videos right on their homepage. Visit brideon.com slash channel slash Lost Arts Radio. On our site, you can also access our free listener forum as well as sign up for the Planetary Healing Club, which is just $25 a month, where you get private access to a one-on-one interaction with host Richard Sachs and myself and the other club members who participate live. More info can be found at planetaryhealingclub.com. We're providing solutions in there to make the world a better place. Come join us. Stay tuned because up next, you'll get to hear a really great song by an independent artist that we're doing our best to support. Go to lostartsradio.com slash music for the full list of all the great songs and bands that we spin on our audio-only podcast shows. If you're in a band and want to submit a song for consideration for airplay on Lost Arts Radio, visit my website at diamonddiscaudio.com for more information about the music placement, mastering, and mixing work that I do. Thanks again for listening to and supporting Lost Arts Radio. We love having you as part of our family to learn, experience, and grow with.
You can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.